Luke chapter 13. And we'll begin in verse 22 this morning. Luke chapter 13, verse 22. And if you're able, will you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is the Word of the Lord. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, make your word alive to us. Make this book that you have given to us live and give life. As we read, as we hear, our prayer is that we would be changed. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Last week we saw that the kingdom of God is not what the Jews were expecting. We looked at a multitude of Old Testament passages and we saw that what was prophesied by God about the kingdom is that the kingdom would be physical, it would be holy, and it would be global and everlasting. But that is not what was happening, what was visible to the Jews in the life and ministry of Christ. And so Christ told two simple parables to explain that the kingdom is growing and that its growth is unexpected, surprising. The kingdom of God is spreading through the transformation of its people, not through visible conquest. Today, 
in this passage, Luke keeps our focus on the same topic of the kingdom of God, but he does it in a much more concrete and personal way. So I ask as we begin, what about you? Are you part of the kingdom of God? Will you be let in or will you be cast out? Let's look at the setting as we begin in verse 22. Since chapter 9, verse 51, Christ has been headed with his, his eyes, his face set to go to Jerusalem. He's left Galilee where he had lived during his ministry, and he's now headed towards Jerusalem. Now, the trip to Jerusalem is a week at most. For a family, it would take them a week to travel down there. Yet, what we see is that Jesus is going about from town to town, village to village. As he makes his way down to Jerusalem, he's not taking a straight path. But as he heads down, he's going throughout the villages. And so it appears that this trip is several months at least. And during his journey, he is preaching the gospel of the kingdom and he's preparing his disciples for what he knows will be his death, his departure, his exodus. And central to his message is the kingdom of God. He's taught us we must be ready. We must be faithful at all times because we don't know when the Son of Man will come in his kingdom and when He comes, the Son of Man will separate those who are faithful. He will put in charge of the kingdom. Those who are faithless, He will destroy and cast out. Those who do not repent will perish. Those who do not bear fruit will be cut down. And that brings us to the question that Luke records for us here. Verse 23. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Now, if you look back at what Jesus has just taught, nowhere does he say directly, only a few will be saved. But if you've been following Jesus' teaching, this is the exact question that you would ask. Just the parables that we looked at before last week. What is the kingdom of God like? It is like a mustard seed, a small little seed. And we saw last week that a mustard tree, if it, a seed grows into a tree, might be 10 or 12 feet tall. It is not a massive tree. It's not an oak. It's not a cypress. It is not a cedar. It is not grand and marvelous as we would expect. And the leaven, just a little leaven, covers, transforms the whole lump of bread, of dough. Is then just a few, are just a few going to be saved? What about all of his commands, his, his warnings as well? If you do not repent, you too will perish. And so if you've been tracking Christ's teaching up to this point, we are left with the question, then who will be saved? How can anyone be saved? They'll ask later on in Luke. How is it possible for anyone to enter the kingdom? 
And so the question is on topic. Notice that Luke shows us this is a geographical change. This is not the exact same incident where he taught the parables, and yet the topic is the same. And so Luke is tying these two teachings together. He wants us to view this as a single treatment of the same topic. So we see the salvation, that salvation and the kingdom of God are inseparable. Salvation and the kingdom of God are inseparable. When we're talking about the kingdom, why does salvation come up? Because whether or not you are in the kingdom corresponds to whether or not you are saved. Salvation and the kingdom are inseparable. Look over at Luke chapter 18 and we'll see Christ explain this. Luke 18 verse 24. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. So what's the topic? Entering the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can enter the kingdom of God? No, they said, then who can be saved? And so when Christ in Luke 13 is talking about the kingdom and someone asks, well, then are only a few going to be saved? It's the same topic. It's not two separate topics. The question, will only a few be saved? We need to see first the salvation and the kingdom are inseparable. They're the same topic. And second, we need to see that this few has been suggested by Christ's warnings and parables. The warnings that he gives throughout the Gospel of Luke, such as, if anyone would be my disciple, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. These warnings that he gives that if you do not bear fruit, you will be cut down. And the parables that we looked at last week all leave us with this question then are only a few going to be saved? And Jesus now answers that question. What's the answer? Look at verse 24. Now he's going to answer in three parts. He begins with his exhortation. He then gives an illustration and then an explanation. Right off the bat, his answer should be clear. Verse 24 Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Strive to enter. Now, have you ever been asked a question like this? Will those who are saved be few? Are there only a few that are going to be saved? Now, usually, I think our instinct is to backpedal and say, oh, no, no, everyone can be saved who wants to. There'll be lots of people. And we, we kind of backpedal. Christ takes the offensive. Strive to enter through the narrow door. Narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. What's the implied answer to the question? 
Will those who are saved be few? Few indeed. Few indeed. Look back at Luke chapter 3 in the, the preaching of John the Baptist. We see that this is what has been taught from the very beginning. Strive to enter. How would you describe salvation? How would you describe entering the kingdom? If someone said to you, how can I enter the kingdom? What would you answer? Would your answer be, just say this prayer and you will enter the kingdom? Would your answer be, it's easy. All you have to do is believe. Christ's answer is different. And our answer needs to agree with his. Chapter 3 in verse 8. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. John's asked, what should we do? What do we do? And his answer, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The answer that Christ gives in Luke chapter 13 is, strive to enter the narrow door. And too often I feel our, our American Christianity is Sit back and relax. Do nothing. Trust. Hold still. Now there's truth in that. Don't misunderstand. We must rest in the promises of God. We do not work to earn our salvation. And yet Christ says here, strive, work hard to enter the kingdom. And he gives a reason for it. The reason we strive is what? I tell you, many will seek to enter and will not be able. The reason that we must strive to enter is because the gate is narrow. The gate is narrow. It is not a broad and wide and easy gate. You remember those words of Christ in Matthew. The gate, the road that is easy and wide is the gate that goes to hell. And here he says, strive to enter because many will try and won't be able to. Does that answer fit with our understanding of the gospel? Is that consistent with what we tell our children what we tell those who we're evangelizing to, if it's not, we need to shift, we need to tweak, readjust our understanding of the gospel. Now, there's a sense in which the kingdom of God is a gift, and a gift cannot be earned. And in that sense, it's easy. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There is nothing you can do to deserve it. It has to be given to you. So then how do you fit in? Strive to enter. Strive, work hard to enter. 
too often, I think we live our Christian lives on cruise control. I, I said a prayer when I was seven years old, and I'm 77 now, and I've been skating along ever since. We live our lives as though, hey, it doesn't really matter. Relax, take it easy. The master will come. Who cares? We're trusting in him. It doesn't matter what we do. But if that's our answer, we sound like the wicked and lazy slave that is cast out of the kingdom. We cannot hope that we will enter the kingdom if we are not striving to enter. We need to hear that answer from the Lord. We trust in him. We are saved by faith, not by our works. But if we do not strive to enter, this parable will be true of us. Look at the illustration. Verse 25 When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Now, take take this in for a second. Lord, I have a question. Will those who are few be saved? And he turns and says to everyone, not just to this one man, strive to enter. Because many will try and won't be able. And what is, he, what, what is the parable focused on? Who's the central character of the parable? We're used to a man. There was a man, and this is how a parable begins. But who's the central character in this parable? It's not there was a man or there will be a man. It is you. It's us. It's every one of us. It's not out there. It's us. He's speaking to us. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside. We need to hear this. This is for every one of us. The door is shut. The master of the house has risen and he apparently has closed the door for the night None of those details are given, but he closes the door. And who's outside? You are. You are outside. We are outside. Why? And you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. And then he will answer, I don't know where you come from. The judgment has begin, begun. It's commenced. The door is shut. You know that it has been appointed to man once to die, and then comes judgment. Look at Acts 17. Luke records in Acts 17, or you can just listen, verse 31. 30 and 31. The times of ignorance... God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. There is coming a day when the door will be closed. 
There is coming a day when judgment will begin. Either when you die or when Christ returns, the door will be closed. It will be shut. Judgment will begin. God has fixed that day and we don't know when it will be. So what do they say? What do we say? We're outside the door. The plea is offered, Lord, open to us. What are they asking? Let us in the kingdom. Let us come into the kingdom. Save us. And what is the answer? Rejection. I do not know where you come from. Lord, let us in. And what's his answer? I don't know who you are. I don't know you. Get out of here. I don't know you. Now, why I don't know you and not you don't know me? Oftentimes we think, I know God. Of course, God knows everyone, but I know God. Biblically, it's usually flipped over. Everyone knows God. God only knows a few. It's a little different than the way that we think. But why is that? Well, uh, there's a few reasons. Look at Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 23. Familiar passage. Verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. So isn't there a sense in which God knows everyone in the world? Surely there is. He, he is omniscient. He knows all. He sees all. He has created all of us. This is talking about familiarity or personal intimate knowledge. And God is saying, I don't know you. You've never come into my kingdom. You've never come into my house. I don't know you. Look at Galatians chapter 4. We recently covered this in our high school Sunday school. Galatians chapter 4, listen to what Paul says. Galatians 4 verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? So in that sentence, he says, you have come to know God, but really what we're talking about is God knowing you. Everyone knows about God. The question is, who does God know? Now back in Luke 13, what we see is that in the parable, they think they know God, but in reality, they don't. They think they know the master, but they don't. The real question is not, do you know who God is? The question is, does God know you? Does God know you? The master says, I do not know where you come from. 
an, an idiom, I don't know who you are, get out. They're rejected. So the door is shut. The plea is offered. The rejection is given. And this is, this is wonderful, so helpful and instructive. The rejection's given, and then they get to defend their plea. Lord, here's why you should let us in. This is why you should open the door to us. And how we answer that question is so critical. Why should God open the door to us and let us into his kingdom? Look at what they say. Look at what we say. In uh, verse 26, then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. We ate near you. We drank near you. Now imagine just for a second that in our town down, well, let's say up in Norwalk, it's a little more realistic. Up in Norwalk, there lives somebody who's famous. Pick your favorite movie star, favorite athlete. Aaron Rodgers moves to Norwalk. <laughs> somebody needs to tell Dave Lample who that is. <laughs> so pick, you pick. I don't know who's famous that everyone would know. Uh, and up in Norwalk is this famous man. And you go out to, to dinner, and that's why we couldn't pick Martinsdale. You go out to dinner, and you're in Norwalk, and, and you sit down at the restaurant, and lo and behold, there's Aaron Rodgers. I know him. I ate with him. I drank with him. Now, come on. Everyone in the restaurant thinks they know Aaron Rodgers now. But what does Aaron Rodgers think? I don't know any of you people. What are you talking about? So the people who think that they know this Lord, they say, we, we've eaten with you. We drank with you. We know who you are. And then the second one, you, you taught in our streets. You came and taught. So surely we know, we listened to what you said. We heard what you said. You taught in our streets. You've got to remember that. And the shocking answer, I don't know who you are. Look at John, 1 John 2, 4. 1 John 2, 4. We think that we know God. Because we ate and drank in his presence. We saw the world and we said, wow, what a creator. We heard the sermons, we heard the teaching, we heard his word, so we must be saved. 1 John 2.4 Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. If you say that you know God, but you don't keep his word, you're a liar. The truth isn't in you. You don't know him. You don't know him. He doesn't know you. So the rejection is given. The plea is justified. They try to explain themselves. No, no, no. Remember, 
We ate with you. We drank with you. You taught in our streets. And his answer, I don't know who you are. Now the rejection is justified. The master answers back, I tell you, I don't know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. The justification the master gives is that you are workers of evil. I will not let you into my kingdom because you are a worker of evil. Your deeds are wicked. Now, this is not the first time Luke has said this. Sometimes it seems week after week that Pastor Jeremy gets on his hobby horse and starts teaching, you've got to obey God. You've got to listen to his words. The truth is, it's Luke's hobby horse, not Pastor Jeremy's. But how many times in the last two years or so have we heard this? If you bear wicked fruit, you are a wicked tree. If you bear good fruit, you are a good tree. Don't be deceived. You don't gather grapes among thorn bushes. Look at, or listen actually, just to Luke 8.21. Luke 8.21. One day he, that is not, Nope. Then his mother, mothers and brothers came to him and he was told, your mother and brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, what was the plea? What was their justification for being let in? We heard your word. You came and taught to us. And his answer Hear and obey. And then again in Luke 11, verse 28, almost the same thing. A woman cries out from the crowd, Blessed is the womb that bore you. And he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And keep it. And then one more I want you to turn to. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, a verse that ought to cause every one of us to fear. It is good and right that we hear these words and tremble. Strive for peace with everyone and strive for the holiness of without which no one will see the Lord. There is a holiness. There is a righteousness that if we lack, we will not see the Lord. And he is not talking about our justification. He is talking about something we must work for, a righteousness, a holiness that demands our striving. Because if we don't have it, we will not be saved. We won't see the Lord. So what's the answer to the question? 
Are only a few being saved? Yes, the kingdom of God is narrow. It is narrow. We strive to enter because many won't be able to. There's a holiness without which we can't see the Lord. And that holiness is not our earned salvation. We do not earn our righteousness by being better than everybody else. It's not the holiness that makes us deserve God's favor, but it's a real holiness. It is real good fruit that we must bear or we will be cut down. Where does that leave you? Would you be on the outside? Would you be knocking on the door? Lord, let me in. I went to church every Sunday, Lord. Lord, I memorized the books of the Bible and I have all kinds of verses memorized. Let me in. What his answer to you could be is I don't know you. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you come from. Then he explains further, and it will get a little bit harder before it gets easier. Verse 28, he says, Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now you've heard that a dozen times probably or read that a dozen times. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But this is a different twist. Who's doing the weeping and the gnashing? In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. He says, you are the man standing outside. You are the one knocking and you will be cast into that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. His explanation is that you who hear my word and do not do it, who hear my word and do not keep it, you who bear no fruit, you who do not repent, you will be cast out. You will be cast out. Luke chapter 12, verse 5. Christ says, I will warn you whom to fear. Do not fear him who can just kill the body and after that has no power to do anything else. I will tell you who to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has the authority to cast in to hell. Whom do we fear? We fear the Lord, who after he has killed our bodies has the power to cast us into hell. And because we fear him, we love him. And because we fear him, we listen to his voice. Second, Christ explains that it is you who will be weeping and gnashing your teeth. Notice in the, 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 the sentence, Who's doing the weeping and gnashing of teeth? In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see. So you are going to look into the kingdom of God and you're going to see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets. You're going to see them and you are going to be outside of the kingdom where there is weeping and gnashing 
of teeth. His warning is severe. Very, very serious. If you do not hear his words and listen to him, that will be you. Cast out of the kingdom. Knocking on the door. Lord, let us in. And it will be too late. And up to this point, it's been pretty grim. Are few going to be saved? Yes, very few. Very many will try to come in and won't be able to. They will stand at the door begging to be let in and the answer will be no, get out of here. Depart from me, workers of evil. We see only the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the prophets. Only they are said to be in the kingdom up to this point. So where does that leave us? Out, we have no hope. No, in verse 29, there is a shift that I hope is an encouragement. And people will come, people, not the patriarchs, not the prophets, not the famous ones, people, just people. People will come from east and west. People will come from north and south, and they will be reclining at table in the kingdom of God. Not only is the kingdom of God narrow, not only is that gate narrow that you have to strive to enter, but the kingdom of God is vast. It is vast. And to the Jew, this would be particularly remarkable because who do they think is really going to be in the kingdom? The Jews. And if anyone comes from the north, it was a Jew that was in the north and they'll come down. And who comes from the, oh, it was a Jew in the east and they come in. And Christ is saying, you know what? The kingdom is far more vast than you can comprehend. There will be people in it that make you uncomfortable because they look and talk and smell so different. God's mercy is not bound by our preferences, by our culture. In that sense, it is vast. And God doesn't, uh, God doesn't do things halfway. Look at Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. <laughs> And here we have a picture, not yet of the full and completed kingdom, but the heavenly kingdom during the tribulation. And listen to how it's described. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. Now, in that sense, are there only going to be a few that are saved? No, there's going to be so many you can't even number them. And what characterizes this people? They are from every nation. They are from all tribes and peoples and languages. How else can you break up the world? Who's God going to save He's going to save, in that sense, from everyone. There will be those who speak languages that sound to us 
chaotic and crazy. And there will be those who look completely different from us, who are taller, shorter, darker, lighter, everything you can imagine. God is going to save from every people, every nation, every tribe, every language. In that sense, the kingdom of God will be vast. Does that mean everyone's going to be saved? No. Strive to enter the narrow door. Strive to enter. But understand in the end, many will strive to enter. And people from every tongue and tribe and nation will strive to enter and will enter the kingdom. The kingdom of God will be vast and last. Don't miss the meaning of verse. Oh, what is it? 25. No, that can't be right. Turn back. Verse 30. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. That's not a tack on about service. It's not a tack on about think of others as more important than yourselves and look not only to your own interests, but also to those of others. That's not the point at all. The point is about entering the kingdom. Those that we look around and think they're first, they're going into the kingdom. Christ says some of those will be first. Some of those who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. Who's the last in the immediate context, can you see in Luke 13, who's the last who's going to enter the kingdom? The poor crippled woman that Christ healed on the Sabbath. How would the rest of society describe her? Last, bottom. And you know what Christ is saying about her? In the kingdom, she will be let in. Because in the kingdom of God, it's not how impressive you are. It is not how mighty or strong you are. It is about your humility. The lowly are allowed in. The lowly. Those who are last will be first. And those who think they're first will be last. So the kingdom of God is narrow. Narrow. So many who think they are going to enter will actually be cast out. But the kingdom of God is also vast. So many who are not worthy will enter. We must strive to enter. We have to repent and turn from our sin. We have to strive to bear fruit. We have to strive to hear His Word and keep it. We must strive to be humble so that he might exalt us. Look at Luke 14, verse 11. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We do not earn entrance to the kingdom of God by our striving, but we cannot enter without striving. As we call the men forward for our time of communion, let me pray for us. Father in heaven, 
we, we listen to the words of Christ and we think, who then can enter? We recognize our own unworthiness, how often we do not strive, how often we do not repent, how often we bear no fruit. Lord, I pray that you would humble us and that as we are convicted, that we would turn and strive to enter that narrow door. Give us the grace that we might see the Lord, that you might beget in us a holiness which out, without which we cannot see you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.